0: Hi, I'm Lindsay Medford. This is Crumbling Empires, a show about living here and now in the midst of crumbling empires with realism and with hope. I am the author of My Body and Other Crumbling Empires, Lessons for Healing in a World That is Sick, and I produce this podcast as part of my Substack newsletter. So if you're enjoying the interviews and you want to keep up with me or my guests or my work, if you want to get more interviews or audio versions of my essays in your inbox, go ahead and sign up for that at lindsaymedford.substack.com. I screwed up this introduction when I was originally interviewing this week's guest, so let's get on to the interview thank you so much for being here thank you so much for writing this book we're really excited to have you i'm so pleased to be here Lindsay. (laughs) and i wanted i definitely wanted to start our conversation with that title um it feels very uh it crosses neatly with the the idea of crumbling empires uh when you decided on this like perhaps rather dramatic title what what were you envisioning and who is who is your reader and who are you in in when you're talking about surviving with joy yeah you know i think uh
1: part of my struggle when I was writing this book is I feel like we shoehorn creativity, the idea of creativity into this very narrow definition. And, um, you know, it means that you are a successful artist. It means that you are a Grammy winner. It means that, or it means that you produce work that is somehow like artistic and other people see it and they like it. And like, That hasn't been my experience of creativity for a lot of my life. Like in my family, I was not the most creative member of my family and under those terms, but I sort of just was desperate to make stuff. And the other thing is like most of the times that I've been creative, it hasn't led to commercial success, but it has turned my life inside out. It has led to healing. It has led to me feeling more whole and more myself. And like, honestly, when I think about like, like our culture trains us that the commercial success is what we're supposed to be aiming for or sort of the artistic recognition or the name recognition And in my experience, like I have friends who have reached those heights and it is awesome to see them succeeding on those, at those, in those kinds of ways. But for myself, like the memoir I wrote for myself, um, that I thought was going to get published has never been published, but it led me to all kinds of healing to remaking my life from the inside out in a way that freed me and made me more me. And, and I'm like, okay, the fact that that, memoir never got published? Does that mean it was a failure? Like, what is that? What? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like that book helped me survive. Right. And I think what I wanted to get at in this book is why is it that writing a memoir or like, you know, when I was in the middle of COVID crocheting every night, like a, like a, Dervish. Like <laughs> it was like, like <laughs> I probably could have carpeted my entire house in the things that I crocheted during COVID. Like that helped me survive, right? Mm-hmm. And there's also this really yeah. great quote by um disability activist Neil Marcus. He says, disability is not a brave struggle. Disability is a work of art. Like it is, it is ingenuity. And I just thought like people who are surviving with disabilities, they have to be so freaking ingenious every single day just to, to get themselves places or to, you Mm -hmm. know, take in an educational environment or whatever to, to, to do their jobs with, you know, with support. Those things require huge amounts of creativity, but we say it doesn't count as like creative. We ignore that. So I wanted to dig down into why making stuff and being and, and solving problems in new ways, why that makes us human, and how being fully human in that ways helps us to actually live our lives wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I um, that's really helpful to hear that there, there's the two sides of like creativity is how we survive and how we survive is creative, right? Um, I. Definitely was super excited to read the um the epigraph from Neil Marcus, Disability is an Art. Um, uh, and I am totally flagged to talk to you about that. Um, because that is how I see it. It's funny like I um I use the word disabled for myself more and more. Um, and I I all I kind of almost forget that when people think of disabled they think of like sad people, people who can't do things because my experience yeah. of disability and the disabled community over the course of years has has become this like no y'all like we are figuring things out. We are doing things you never thought of. <laughs> we are <laughs> making it work and we are um learning what our priorities are and you know hell or high water doing you know making our lives something that we want to be a part of and that we're proud of what it was what does um can you talk more about that quote and the significance of it to you and your experience with disability
1: yeah so I didn't know that I really dealt with a disability until this year. I was just diagnosed with autism recently, but, yeah. um, I kind of, I kind of came into it sideways because I have dealt with mental illness before and have family members that deal with, with mental illness and also, you know, friends. And my, exp- like we talk about mental illnesses if people are like fragile, kind of the same thing. I mean, it's a kind of disability, right? It's, it, it's a form of disability, but like, that people are so fragile and like not trustworthy. And, you know, we like use words, throw words around, like crazy around, like it's, you know, so just not a, I don't know. It's just sort of dismissive and condescending. But my experience of people who are say trauma survivors or who have been through depression is that their resilience, I mean, sometimes people who deal with mental illness do not, do not find a place of thriving, but those people who are, I who have been through deep mental illness, who come through the other side and learn how to deal with it, they are some of the most resilient, wise people I know. So there's sort of this dichotomy of like, well, we think the mentally ill are people to be pitied and who are absolutely not wise. But if you've learned how to deal with a mental illness, and you've learned how to restructure your life so that you can actually be mentally well, even if you continue to have the same diagnosis, like, you have become just a kickass person right like they i mean i see people who don't deal with mental illness being absolutely foolish all the time so this sort of paradigm of yeah. like what does who is the healthiest person i'm like like i don't think not having ever had a mental health diagnosis means that you are healthy right, right. Like i don't think that necessarily maybe maybe you're super wise and kind and resilient, or maybe you're an <laughs> asshole. Like, and if you have a mental illness, like kind of the same thing, like maybe you're wise and kind, or maybe you're an asshole. It's just part of the human condition. And so I think what I've loved in coming into the disability community is it's, it sort of expanded that understanding. What I already knew about just sort of brain difference I've seen applies to a whole host of different things, whether that's chronic illness, whether that's chronic pain, whether that's physical impairments, that people are just human beings. And those human beings that have had to struggle, that have had to reimagine themselves, that have had to, you know, figure out how their day to day lives work, those are the people who are the wisest. And often those people deal with labels that the rest of society thinks disqualify them from wisdom or disqualify them for joy. And I think that that's a problem with our society and not with the people who have actually learned how to
0: survive in our society, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, there's something there about... um, As you said at the beginning, creativity being essential to our survival. And I think there's something because creativity is essential to our survival and our wholeness that um, consciously or unconsciously, there's a reason it gets kind of beaten out of us a lot of the time or um, because it's such a resource to draw on to become more whole and to become more connected Right. Um, well, I
1: mean, like, so like for an instance, my own sweet children, like my youngest daughter is tremendously creative and constantly dreaming up projects. And honestly, like, like I have mad respect for her skills on many levels, but it causes me no end of inconvenience right? <laughs> Like right? when children are coming up with creative ideas like they are making a mess, they are like, you know, taking all the supplies in the house and commandeering them for some project that might destroy them, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it is hugely inconvenient when children, you know, like in school, like if you're, if your kids are being super creative in their classes, that it's not necessarily going to be seen (laughs) well by the by the teachers, because it's disruptive, right? Like they're not yeah staying with the program,
0: right? and so yes, it absolutely gets gets beaten out of us right and it and then, of course, we you know consciously or unconsciously again, uh we get that message if we are disabled or mentally ill or in any way don't fit. we get this message that we are inconvenient, um, and often our like yes. our creative ways of surviving are sometimes inadvertently shamed um just because they're not like creativity is rarely comfortable and it doesn't make the people yeah. around us comfortable yeah. i think is is what you're saying too the other part of the of your title of your book is ordinary creativity um and i just really loved i made like print out and frame your meditation on the word ordinary. Can you talk more about that? Oh my gosh, Lindsay, when I looked up the
1: etymology of the word ordinary, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it changes everything. <laughs> so it is it related to the word. Yeah, it is related to the word for order. And it's related to words like ordain and primordial um, to be ordained is to mean that God purposes something, you know, or to be in God's purpose. Um, it is, it, it gets back to, I'm trying to remember now the etymology, it's, it gets back to um, the words related to weaving. And it means that something is, has like a regular pattern and is re- repeated. And literally that's like with threads on a loom, that there is sort of an order there of how you put the, the threads together. I just Mm -hmm. thought, like, we think ordinary means nothing special, right? But it's sort of like, no, this is the basic fabric of everything. Because our days are made up of all of these moments woven together that really don't look like much on the outside, like nothing that we do, like doing the laundry does not feel so earth shatteringly important. But like, we don't do anything without clean clothes, right? Like, I mean, you could, but you'd stink. So, and, or like, you know, cooking dinner, sometimes that looks like, you know, giving your kids cereal because you have no bandwidth for anything else, but nobody is going to be able to, you know, get through the rest of the day without you at least providing that amount of care for your kids. Right. It might not Mm -hmm. look awesome, but that is, those are the things that our life are made of and they're connected to our sense of purpose, to the to the creation of the universe, because everything is built up of very modest building blocks, right? Like, like yeah. everything is built up of these very small things that on them by themselves don't look like very much, but when combined together, make something breathtaking. And I think that if we denigrate the word ordinary. We're denigrating just the very small moments that make us who we are, that give our lives meaning. And I'd like to have creativity anchored in that reality, because the truth is like crafting a book or making a painting is also just full of very small things, like a sentence, a brushstroke that only at the end kind of comes together and doesn't really look like that much at the beginning. I mean, if you've ever done those things, you know, you feel like an absolute putz when you're getting started, like every single time. So (laughs) if we, or if we put our creativity in this idea of ordinariness, that it is both super humble and also connected to the meaning of everything, I think that gives us a little bit of the feel of what, what is really happening when we're creative because most of the time it's not going to look like that much but in the end it's always a kind of miracle no matter how humble our our skills are or the end product is or what our day looks like is you know it is important even though it doesn't look flashy
0: yeah I um and survival is that way right and we and I think we um sometimes when we're super overwhelmed and we feel like we are we know that we have to figure out how to survive we're waiting for like the moment of insight or the rescue that's gonna appear and actually survival itself is a matter of like eating some cereal and um doing it again tomorrow and um yeah i just love the way you wove those the creativity and the survival and the ordinariness together over and over and over throughout this book. And in the process made all of those things so much more accessible. Um, And so many of, I do think uh, so many of the things you say, like um, we have to, learn to incorporate our mistakes and failures into what we're doing and let, let them be a part of the process. Like this is not something most of us have never, ever heard before, but it also for some reason when it's about creativity, it gets like couched in still like, this is, this is a special skill of incredibly talented people when like yeah actually it's like a life skill you can apply to a lot of things um yes why why do we um why do we say creativity creativity in this voice and and um right. and cate- categorize people as creati- creative and not why do we do that yeah,
1: that's a great question. I mean, I think even just studying the history of creativity kind of gave me some insight into that. Like, I think a lot of it is about power, right? So I, I found out in the course of researching this book that back in ancient Greece, you know, they had the muses, which were like the, the spirits of inspiration and creativity. There was no muse for visual art, there was no muse for sculpture. There were muses for theater. There were muses for poetry. There was muse, there was like multiple ones, different ones for different kinds of poetry, but they didn't have Mm. any painting muses because the people who were painting were slaves. Like the people who were making sculptures were usually slaves. That was considered manual labor. And so this idea of like what actually counts as creative, is very tied to notions of power, right? Like, it's always has been that way. And in our society, the people who have, like, who are visibly creative, and who are lauded for their creativity, they have a lot of, they they tend to have a lot of money because of that. Like, that is what is counted as worthwhile in our society. And so those people, they are considered hugely creative. But like, Back in the Middle Ages, people didn't put like the the architect's name on the cathedral because there was not one architect. They would have right. to have multiple architects over the course of the, you know, 100, 200 years that it took to build something. There would be multiple artisans that were coming to finish a cathedral inside and out. And so the idea that this one person was responsible for this one work of art, like that was a weird concept. Like people were not You know, people were not lauded until the Renaissance individually for being creative. And people just made stuff because they had to. There was no way to go to Target and buy your blanket. Like, you had to make it yourself. And so this this habit of making things, I think because of our capitalist economy, I think because our understanding of, of what counts as success and what counts as meaningful is so tied to money, it has erased the work that most of us do each day in our houses in very modest and quiet ways to make stuff to solve problems that ordinary people have always done and ordinary people without power have always done. And we just don't see how that kind of toxic power dynamic works. And so we assume that what we're doing doesn't matter, you know that it doesn't really count unless someone else tells us that it counts or someone else pays us money for it.
0: Yeah, which in my experience of my life becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if it if my potholders that I made on my loom don't count, then I might as well just go buy some from the Dollar Tree and there's less creativity in the world now. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. And I mean, to be honest, and, and I think also like so many of us are having to work so hard just to get by, you know? But mm-hmm. there is honor and creativity in making do with what we have under those circumstances. And the idea that say someone who's struggling with poverty isn't being creative. It's like, okay, have you learned what it is to navigate like the welfare system in our country? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, have you learned what it looks like to put together a meal when you're on food stamps and what that mm-hmm. the kind of ingenuity that requires and the and the planning? Like those are real skills. Like I would be helpless in that situation unless I had someone to help me, right? It would take me a long time to learn those skills. So the idea that those are not creative skills, like that's just, that's trash. It's, it's not true. But because it doesn't look fancy and powerful and is related to money and prestige, we think it doesn't matter. But it's truly, like all of us are doing those kinds of things. And it isn't necessarily only with painting or with yarn or whatever. It's it's everyday stuff. It's problems. Sol- like creativity is just problem solving, basically.
0: Right. Yeah. I hear uh, so many of the things you're talking about, make me think about my experience of improv theater in college. And I think that taught me a lot of, of these things about creativity that are harder to get at um, without an experience <laughs> um, because it, because improv is collaborative improv um make something that it can be recorded but mostly is never going to exist again in the future um and it's there for the experience of it for the people making it and the people the audience as well just to have to share a moment and then disperse you know um and that is so different from a lot of the other things we think of as art and um or as valuable. And at the same time, I'm so aware that I totally fluked into doing that thing. And that also I was in college and I had, you know, the most resources ever to sit around for hours and hours, just experiencing an experience with other people, you know? Um, yeah. But uh, that has continued to to just inform how I understand creativity and, and by extension, the world and spirituality and life ever since then. Um, And I wish we, I just wish we had more spaces for, to try things I think um, is part of what I'm getting at. And I wish we had more spaces to share things without judgment besides just College, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, and I think our culture is because because like skills like singing or dance or whatever have been so commodified and so professionalized. It means that families don't make mm-hmm. music together in their homes, right? Because nobody has
0: yeah.
1: is good enough for that to work. Like when my my mom talks about you know, her relatives getting together and people who, you know, had some high school band experience were like, playing their horn, you know, it's like, because they didn't have Mm -hmm. that much else to do. She grew up in a very small rural farming town. And there wasn't much else to do besides that. And I don't want to like negate the, the difficulty of that. Like my mom didn't always like that fact. But at the same time, like, the idea of getting to make music, very modest, humble music together with your family, like, like we would just put on Spotify now, right? And, and there's, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to be nostalgic for the past, like there's real difficulties there. But also this idea that you have to be so good, you have to have so much skill to not be embarrassed at putting your skills out there. And it's like, I wish that we hadn't raised the bar quite so hard. Like we've all seen such, we've all grown up, people of yours and my generation have grown up with such heavily produced forms of creativity that require multiple editors and choreographers and producers in order for them to be ready for public view that we think that that is what is necessary in order to get joy out of something. But like, oh my gosh, you get together in a room with a bunch of amateur singers and you can have like such a good time, right?
0: yeah yeah an irreplaceably good
1: time totally but I love image of you in improv comedy like yes that's exactly (laughs) that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about
0: yeah um I spend a lot of my time just sitting around imagining ways to recapture at least a little bit of that um and you you point out in uh, in ordinary creativity how much community building itself is also a creative like an immensely creative act if creativity is problem solving like that's what community building is (laughs) and um I was really inspired by that too thank you
1: yeah I mean being autistic building community is not something that comes naturally to me and people you know like Put me in a room with, you know, an X-Acto knife and some paper and I will happily amuse myself. And people like, oh, you're so creative. And I'm like, yes, I have these skills, but there are other skills that I really struggle with. Like autism makes it easy for me to focus and build and, yeah. you know, crazy paper models over 12 hours. Like that requires no effort for me. <laughs> but like, you know getting a group together for a group dinner like that's terrifying like oh my gosh the people who can do that and who manage to get me there and like happily (laughs) talking to other people I'm like you're amazing like how do you do that that's magical so I just it's like we overlook the guilt the skills that come easily to us and I'm saying like maybe we should pay attention to those things that we do without even thinking because they are so because we are actually gifted in them you
0: know yeah and and I think the just feeling allowed being willing to pay attention to how we perceive those things as creative uh, gives us the space to incorporate more create more ordinary creativity into our lives and more um dignity to the humble work that we or the people around us are doing yeah um I wanted to ask you, I, there's not like a ton in your book that says this explicitly, but I also felt a really strong undercurrent that creativity as so you know broadly defined is a spiritual practice for you, mm-hmm. and that spirituality is a creative practice. And I wanted to um just hear you talk about that aspect of, that's um this interesting undercurrent here. Mm -hmm. And, and, and perhaps, um, my guess is that attending to the power structures and forces sort of involved in all of this is, is a spiritual practice for you too. Yeah. You know, I
1: think a lot of it is about paying attention, right? Like, and being present, um, for me, like the the more healthy my my spirituality, you know, I I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. Um, the more healthy my 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 practice of faith has become, it's about like listening. It's about being still. It's about not trying harder to impress or perform for God, but just sensing that God is already present where I am, mm-hmm. and that is a work of our insides, right? Like that is a work of paying attention to a spark of joy or a spark of peace or a spark of yearning. And when I write things or when I make a painting or when I get started on a new scarf, like it's kind of the same skill. It's kind of that same, like, what is it that I'm really yearning for here? What is that color that makes, just makes me so excited? Like, I mean, seriously, when I started like crocheting, I'd be like, I'd see a color of yarn and be like, (gasps) oh, like, feeling like I'm scheming or something. Like this sense of yearning, of joy, of, of hopefulness almost. And it's the freaking exact same feeling. Like that, that sense of like, what is this? whole part of me inside of me that I think is god right that wholeness that sense that that beautiful spirit that i think lives within each of us how am i connecting to that and what is the next thing that it's that that presence is telling me to do and i think that that can be a spiritual exercise i think that that can be a way of solving a problem i think that that could be a way of making something new but it feels the same to me and like the healthier I've gotten in all those areas, the more I'm like, yeah, this is all one thing, right? This is all, this is all one practice. It's just different manifestations of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I just feel it is worth reiterating until everyone is really sick of hearing it. <laughs> what you're also saying is it all being one practice is, you know, lending your art supplies to your kid and helping them clean up their mess and uh letting I was just I was just letting a dog in and out like she just wants to go in and out in and out of the house every day and I could I could just not let her but I I don't know (laughs) that caretaking (laughs) yes absolutely Um, is is life making um yeah and it's it's an art um so no, you and, actually I mean, I, go ahead. So oh, I was going
1: to say like I actually homeschooled my kids and a lot of the stuff that I put in this book I learned from homeschooling them because you know, it's w- when you grow up with certain ways of like judging success or judging achievement, it's kind of hard to talk yourself out of them, but when I had my kids at home every day, like we were doing sort of this radical leftist hippie style homeschooling that was like unschooling, especially when they were very awesome. little, like we just play to learn math. I mean, it was very hippy dippy. but like, what was amazing to me is like my children thrived and I kept thinking like what I'm giving to them. I want that for me. Like, what would it look like to have yes. radical permission to learn skills with absolutely no pressure and absolutely no comparison to anybody else? Like what would that actually, what would that feel like to me? And like, again, like that is the kind of graciousness that God is giving each of us. Like all the pressure (laughs) that we feel to perform and meet standards, that is not Jesus, right? Like it is so much about, you know, becoming like little children and actually loving our neighbors well, and not about presenting a front that people will be impressed by. Right. And so, yes, it was absolutely in caregiving that I realized that the sort of, permission i was struggling to learn to give to my children that 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 applied to me too and that could be you know with a dog that you're like you just have creaturely needs like you need to be going in and out all day and i'm going to have patience with that like that is the kind of graciousness that god gives to each of us and we should pay attention to that and honor it
0: i there's a, i think there's something with this dog where she's like she just wants to go outside in the sun and she's very black and she wants to get really really hot and then come back in and lay on the cold floor like that's what she's doing and and I think of her so much as my mentor in the this like paying attention to what we love like what you're talking about just I love this yarn and I I need to hold this yarn in my hands <laughs> like that what you like you just said the creatureliness of that I'm like I will facilitate this for you that's fine <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wisdom
1: to know, like, this is what I want to do right now. Like, I want to go lay in the sun. Like, what, like, that pleasure is available to every freaking human being alive. And how often do yeah. we not give ourselves the freedom to enjoy that simply? It costs nothing. It doesn't even take very much time. And it's available to us all the time. And, like, to learn how to actually do that is, would be a crazy gift to each of
0: us. Yeah, exactly. Um, we well, just mentioned hope, and I like to end by asking my guests um, how do you define hope and where are you finding it right now? Oh, we're ending on the easy question, huh? How <laughs> <laughs> do I define hope? Maybe you Come can on. start with where you're finding it and then you'll know how you define no. it. I don't know
1: you know i was i I was in therapy the other day, and my therapist was was helping me um, remember ways I'd been resilient in the past and talking about like you faced this problem and see how you managed to solve it, and that there was like at that point where, you know, like for instance, when I was home with my kids, that experience for me was quite terrifying in a lot of ways. That was one of the things I was remembering was the terror of it. And she's like, but you also said that it filled you with joy. Like I was, I was talking about the terror and then I said, but it also made me joyful as kind of an afterthought. She's like, let's sit with that for a moment. And I think to me, hope is like how I'm trying to live into hope is remembering those things in the past where I was terrified of something that was actually life-giving because it's sometimes it's really hard to be that vulnerable, right? To really allow the thing that you're yearning for to really go after it. That is ter- that can be really terrifying. But I have seen that it is worth it. And so for me, like remembering through life experience and just the testimony of people around me, that it is worth it to live that open hearted. It is worth it to go after those things that I'm yearning for. And that hope for me is the radical permission to really do that. And to think like, I have hope that when I live that way, even if it doesn't look successful, even if it's countercultural, even if it kind of makes me feel like a putz to other people, like, Hope is trusting that that is the right move, because it is in the past always led me to a better place.
0: Awesome. That's amazing. Um, your book is Amazing, Ordinary Creativity, How to Survive with Joy. Um i'm just gonna keep going back to it i for i want listeners to know i you talk about the artist way um a few times in your in this book and you also say you know there was a time in my life when it was great for me and there was a time in my life when it just would have destroyed me to try to do this like you it's a really big undertaking and i don't know if you did this on purpose or not, but you're the little chapters and journaling reflections in ordinary creativity feel like the, the, the opposite, like the, the doable thing. If someone has little kids or a disability or this, this whole topic is really overwhelming to them um, that you can, pick this up in 10 minutes a day and put it down and come back to it. And I will be doing that more um, as I'm revisiting it in the future. So thank you so much for writing this, Heather. Thank you for being with us.
1: It's been such a pleasure.